Welcome to The Stockout. This is the show at Freight Waves. We set aside a little bit of time to talk about the CPG industry, the consumer packaged goods industry. I'm your host, Mike Bowdenistel. I'm the head of Intermodal Solutions here at Freight Waves. And uh, what we're going to do today on The Stockout is I'm going to talk a little bit about Instacart. They filed a, a prospectus on Friday. Uh, it's been kind of a lot talked about. I'll think about, about it from the perspective of the CPG companies, uh, what should they um, you know, be reading it for? And then we'll be talking to Joe Oliaro, who is the chief real estate officer at Wagner Logistics. Uh, they're very heavy into uh, warehousing. So we'll talk and get Joe's perspective on the industry. Uh, before I do those things, want to make sure if anyone's not already signed up for the Stockout newsletter, uh, to please go to www.freightwaves.com forward slash the Stockout. And you can sign up for the stockout or point of sale. Uh, point of sale is the retail side of things. Uh, the stockout is CPG. And we're going to be merging uh, those two things. And so what we're going to be doing going forward is uh, just have one um, show, one newsletter called The Stockout, where I'll be teaming up with Grace Sharkey uh, to go through what's happening in both retail and CPG. They, they're so um, sort of interrelated. Um, and today's uh, topic is kind of a good you know, case in point, um, you know, we're, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, Instacart here. So if you haven't seen it, Instacart uh, filed, um, you know, S1 uh, prospectus on Friday. Um, maybe that's the first thing to know there is it's Maple Bear is the company's name uh, doing business as as, as Instacart. Um, and they had a lot of things to say about uh, sort of CPG industry, but, you know, also a, f- a number of things on just e-commerce in general, where, uh, they said the e-commerce for grocery went from 1% in 2009 to 3% in 2019 to 12% in 2022. So the pandemic basically quadrupled the size of the online grocery marketplace. Of course, Instacart has been a big um, you know, part of that. Uh, what they do is they basically facilitate uh, the retailers' abilities to, for uh, to get their products online. So it's not just this Instacart marketplace, but it's also uh, operating under the retailers' own storefronts. So it appears that the retailers have all of the technology in place that uh, maybe they're really just leveraging. Uh, you know, Instacart's uh, technology. Um, they make bring up, bring up some good points. How uh, grocery historically has not invested very much in IT. Maybe just one percent of their sales. So Instacart could invest more. Um, in these processes that the and the individual retailers uh, could, at least the smaller uh, sort of grocery uh, you know retailers. Um, we also uh, learned some about the company's business model, where they had, they get about seventy percent of the revenue from transaction fees, either um, from from working on behalf of the retailer or from consumers. But the other thirty percent is what they call advertising and other revenue. So primarily advertising does appear to be a higher margin business. And that's really sort of the crux of the business model. I've seen some analysts uh, suggest that that's all the profitability, um, which is another point here is that the company is profitable, was profitable in 2022 for the entirety of the year and also profitable in the first half of 2023. They also um, revamped their uh, executive lineup and have uh, executives in there that are from, that are um, really seasoned in the advertising space have brought companies public, you know, previously. So it, it does seem like the companies, both with, um, you know, getting their financials um, to a point of, of profitability, given that's what uh, most investors want now, no longer growth for growth's sake, and also getting the management team in place, they've been uh, positioning themselves uh, to go uh, to go public. Uh, mentioned a minute ago that they, twelve you know, percent of 
grocery shopping is now done online. They think that could maybe double. Uh, so it does seem like from a CPG company's perspective, they need to have a strategy uh, to market themselves for e-commerce. And I think the question becomes, is using Instacart the way to go about doing that? They give some uh, suggestions as to maybe, you know, the, the case that they make is that um, this, the CPG uh, companies, um, when they put their their ads on you know, Instacart, can get anywhere from a 15% increase in uh, sales versus what they had on there before to, um, in some cases, over 30%. Uh, they talk about how, um, you know, they can offer, you know, lots of different ways to, to do that in terms of, of advertising, bringing the product up on the on the page, you know, offering the, the company's individual product pages, and they have an ability to make it so a customer that wants to buy in bulk can can do so. And I um, guess Instacart has the visibility to see whether or not there's enough inventory to, to, to make that offer. So they, they do quite a lot with um, you know, sort of tracking, making the, the, those, those, um, that advertising, you know, sophisticated. So it does seem like an interesting you know, proposition for the, the CPG companies. They did also talk about how some of the CPG companies are, um, advertising more online. They say that CPG brands spend about 200 billion on advertising and that equates to anywhere from 20 to 30% of their gross sales. And they say about 25% of that is online. So still 75% of it, not online, which suggest that there's really a long way, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of runway there where more of that, uh, advertising dollars, you know, can still migrate online, even if that's been the trend, they said they have 5,500 brands that are advertising on Instacart, not necessarily companies, you know, some of these companies have hundreds or, or even a thousand uh, brands. And they mention some of the bigger ones, Campbell's, Nestle, and Pepsi, um, you know, Pepsi, by the way, investing 175 million as part of a private placement in, in the offering. And then some of the smaller brands they uh, highlight are Banza, Chloe's, Fruit Pops, and Wisps. So, um, you know, let me know uh, when, if, if anyone in the CPG industry thinks this is worthwhile or not, would be, um, you know, love to, to get your, your feedback. So that's our one uh, CPG news story today. Um, you know, with that, I want to bring on today's guest. It's Joe Aliaro, Chief, Res- Chief Real Estate Officer at uh, Wagner Logistics. Do we have Joe? There's there's the logo for Wagner Logistics. There you are. Good to see hey. you. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having us on. Excited are you an to be Instacart here. user? <laughs> you know, I, I was I was thinking about it as you were talking about it. I know my wife uses Instacart. I I honestly I've I don't think I've ever used it. I'm I'm a I'm a laggard when it comes to uh, the use of um, that kind of technology. I'm I'm old school. I don't have a I don't have a a smartwatch, um, mostly because of my ADD, but, <laughs> um, no, I, I don't think I've used Instacart. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so, so, um, let me start out, just, uh, give us a little bit of an overview of, of Wagner logistics for those that aren't familiar. Yeah. So Wagner logistics is a, um, third party logistics firm based in North Kansas city, Missouri. Uh, we occupy roughly 7 million square feet across the U.S., uh, across 25 different uh, operations. Um, a lot of what we've done has been steeped in contract warehousing uh, in support of manufacturers, uh, some of which make uh, CPG, um, consumer packaged goods. Uh, we're pretty heavy in the paper industry. Uh, we've run with automotive. We do energy. 
um, you name it, uh, since, you know, we've been in business since 1946. So you name it, we've, we've probably seen it. Or yeah, so you do a lot with warehousing, a lot with contract warehousing. Yeah. So what are you seeing in the warehousing market uh, currently? I mean, we've heard so much about shortages. It does seem like the market's maybe correcting. Um, you know, you were on uh, Thomas Watson's show a few months back, loaded and rolling. You said that at the time, warehousing space was about 95% utilized. Um, where are we now? So I don't think that's changed a whole lot. The, uh, the markets continue to be tight. Um, especially in markets like Dallas, um, you know, East and West coast, the vacancy rate continues to be 5% or below. And in some markets, it's much lower than 5%. Uh, good luck finding space in the inland empire. It, uh, when it comes on, it, it goes right back off the market. Um, so I, I think really what we're seeing for challenges is, is, uh, storage rates. Um, storage rates and, you know, rental rates for, uh, warehouse spaces in these markets where the vacancy is low continues to go up. Um, so we're constantly looking for sublease opportunities, um, or to just get in with, uh, one of our customers that has a location already and run, run the locations as, as a sole operator for them. Um, and that seems to work pretty well for what we're doing, but the, as the storage rates have continued to increase, it creates a much higher barrier. Uh, to entry for 3PLs and uh, other groups that are trying to get into that market as a service provider. Um, I was, I, in addition to that, we're also seeing a, a drastic reduction in big box uh, warehouse space, uh, mostly because some of the developers around the country, like Prologis, North Point Development, they've cut their pipelines in half for these large big box warehouse distribution centers, um, mostly because of interest rates, uh, construction lead times, are up. and then also, you know, construction materials um, are way more expensive than they were a couple of years ago. And uh, so they, I think it, they're not, they're not completely shutting off their pipeline, but they are drastically reducing it to, uh, to kind of wait out the storm. Yeah. That's so interesting because we went through this period of, such extreme tightness in in warehousing space, and then it started. The narrative started to shift where there was going to be a lot of building, and we're just going to overbuild it. We're going to just over, overshoot the problem. But then I don't think anyone anticipated the interest rates to be up so quickly in such a short period of time, and it's it's hard to adjust to that. I mean, some of these low low vacancy rates for the for the warehousing. Do you, do you get a sense of it being? temporary because the consumer is still under a lot of pressure or do you think that 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 shortage is going to be with us for some time i mean some of the the carriers like jb hunt the other day at an investor conference said that some of their some of their customers say things are fine um inventories are right size but others say it's kind of still elevated kind of mixed uh, what, what are you seeing so it's we see we see both of that as well. So we see, we see a wait and see mentality from some of our customers and folks we're trying to do business with. Um, and, you know, in a post COVID, um, world consumer behavior is continuing to shift. And so it's, it's, we've seen a lot of CPG groups that are having, uh, difficulty understanding where the consumer demand is going. Um, I mean, you were talking about Instacart earlier. If you look at 
a few of the top trending product items that are out there. You're talking lip stain, uh, matcha, you know, powdered green tea, and um, what was it? Uh, power tool accessories were the were the, like top three uh, trending items for you know CPG items that are being sold online. So trying to disseminate some of those the, some of those items uh, into a larger mass scale demand very difficult. Um, so the pricing strategy that the CPG groups are are are, are using, um, you know, it, it doesn't line up with. Uh, with what people are doing and if they're just spending their money on on uh, what i would call items that that uh, don't keep the lights on at the house or don't keep people fed it's hard to it's hard to forecast against that yeah a lot of conflicting um data points for sure i mean it's, it's like for all you hear about sort of trading down it's still a lot of big cpt companies say their elasticities are low and people are still spending it seems like maybe these people are on different tracks um it, you know the, the, the manufacturers that you talk to uh, you hear a lot about companies trying to build resiliency into their supply chains. You hear others say, well, maybe you just want to have it streamlined, have sort of one centralized warehouse. You know, how do you sort of think about balancing those two things? Um, you know, I, I think, I think if you're, if you're, if you're a shipper and you want to have multiple providers, the, the best way to do that is to divide them into channels where they're the best fit. Um, and it's so a, we're, we're seeing, uh, partnerships where, you know, um, depending on how many product channels you have and what the requirements are across that, uh, that particular supply chain, you might find a, uh, a provider that's, that excels in that particular product type, whether that's, you know, a, a charcoal or a kitty litter or, you know, um, large roll stock paper there's there's all kinds of uh different means of handling those kinds of products and 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 those those touch items that uh that require a different level of expertise so finding a partner or multiple partners that can handle things in different ways um seem to be at least for the larger cpg groups that's typically how they handle uh that end yeah that makes makes a lot of sense um I also want to ask you about um, your use of automation in, in the warehousing. And if production can bring it up, we do have a video clip that shows robotics in, in your warehousing. This was one that um, you, know, you guys uh, sent, sent to me. And so uh, you think, oh, um, yeah. so can you talk about a little bit what we're, what we're seeing here? So you have robots going to shelves and you have another robot taken to a different step in the, um, in the warehouse. And then I guess the idea is ultimately this is going to drive tremendous amount of efficiency and and, and maybe just um, you know having you know the, the picking be, be correct or what can you tell us about this this operation here? It looks like um, something out of a science fiction movie. All these these robots walking in time. <laughs> yeah. So this was a small item fulfillment center that we built out in our main facility in North Kansas City, and the impetus behind this was we had a customer that was projecting high volumes of activity um, and we pitched them the idea of, okay, well, let's, let's put in some automation here that will ramp up the number of picks that we can make. And so you have these robots that are cycling through uh, what we call a library of uh, different SKUs. So each of the boxes on the right there represents a different SKU 
Um, the, the robots would go and grab the skew as a part of an order that come across. And then you'll see the robot also dropping it off on a wall here um, in just a second. And that's the pick wall. And so the other side of that pick wall is, uh, so right now it's showing the replenishment wall. And then this is here where it's dropping it off is the, is the, um, is the pick wall where the product is left there. Uh, and then a picker on the other side of the wall, go, all they have to do is go back and forth. So it drastically increases the amount of picks you can make, the orders you can process. And we designed this specific library and fulfillment center in order to be scalable. So it was a, it took up a fairly small footprint, um, scalable uh i guess also refers to the uh, cost uh we picked up those shelves from home depot you know it, it was it was something that wasn't uh didn't require uh, a supreme amount of infrastructure like an amazon facility would this was something that we could pack up and put away or uh, scale up to you know a hundred thousand square feet if we needed to and uh, that that allowed us to do it quickly um, and efficiently for the customer, um, and get, get the, you know, get the orders out the door as needed. Yeah. It seems huge for, um, efficiency. Um, we want to ask you, um, you looked at your website and it said that you had 24 warehouses, I think, in 22 different cities. How do you go about selecting the site w within those uh, cities? So, it, it's kind of twofold. So in in many cases, our customers come to us, uh, our existing customers come to us and they say, hey, we want to be in Dallas. We want to be in Jacksonville, Florida. We want to be in this particular market. And they know where they were. Um, in other cases, they will come to us and they'll say, where should we go? And and we we have an idea of you know where some of the the you know best places based on their needs and their network. Um of you know where we can suggest for them to go, and then we also like to build. And as a part of that, we've we've started targeting some of those markets as a campus-style facility where we might have a dedicated operation in one part of town, and then a multi-client warehouse in another portion of the of that particular metro area. Um, and that campus style uh, of, I guess that campus of facilities allows us to leverage labor across the two facilities or multiple facilities, uh, cross train across different product types and, and, and ways of operating and handling equipment and, uh, product and gives us a distinct advantage when we go in to get more business in that market, we'll likely have some available space that we can dedicate to that and provide more value to, uh, current and prospective customers. And that's really how we go into, you know, considering a market is how, how many customers can we service in that market and what, what's our ideal footprint? Yeah. It makes, makes a lot of sense. And then can you, um, let's say with CPG companies, you know, consolidate, let's say LTLs into truckload. I mean, we hear some of you know, CPG companies trying to do that where let's say they, there's a shared warehouse across you no know, number of different shippers. They're trying to move uh, a truckload, let's say, to a Walmart or Target distribution center. Uh, did you do a lot of, of that, the, the consolidation of, of LTL into truckload? Well, we've looked into uh, doing more consolidation. Uh, the challenges come into you know negotiating all the tariffs and the infrastructure re required to handle 
a large amount of LTL activity. Um, it's a it's a major barrier for mid 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 size to uh, to you know smaller three uh, PLs. It's it's uh, it can be pretty expensive, pretty fast, and require a lot of attention to be able to handle that level of consolidation, especially if you've got you know an Instacart that has a thousand different customers that are servicing one retailer or you know trying to trying to understand how all those moving pieces come together can get pretty complicated pretty quickly so for mid mid-sized 3pls and 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 uh, smaller it uh it gets expensive and uh resource uh, and, and non-resource friendly as uh as it gets more complicated like that yeah, you mentioned um, a minute ago labor and how you're sharing labor across different facilities within a metro area. How are you finding the, the labor market uh, right now? Uh, you know, it's been a challenge for the last few years. And it, it's uh, honestly, it's always been a challenge. Um, the expectations of the customers, the expectations of employees themselves continues to evolve. Um, and we've had to get creative to, to handle that. So we, I, I think, we spend roughly a thousand dollars per employee just to recruit that employee, and that's whether or not we hire them. Um, so a lot of time and resources and effort goes into hiring and recruiting uh, employees. Um, from a temporary employee standpoint, we've had to get creative, and we partner with a, a group called Variable um, here in Kansas City, and it leverages the gig economy. So if you wanted to drive a forklift on a Thursday for maybe three or four hours, you could get on variable and and sign up to work at our warehouse. And we've instituted a, a an expedited training program that allows us to vet that individual and make sure that they are who they say they are and um, get them in the warehouse working. And the intent there is to replace roughly 10% of the workforce, but it also gives us more flexibility and elasticity when we need temporary workers. Uh, what we've found is that those temporary workers coming from a variable or from a gig perspective are much more excited and more eager to, to be more hands-on in the warehouse. They're there because they like what they're doing. Um, and it's not, I guess it's not like a hobby for them that they're making money doing it, but it's, uh, it's a different kind of conversation in that regard, which has been kind of refreshing. Um, and so you taking, taking those creative approaches has, has been beneficial so far. Yeah, that's interesting. It is creative. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting to hear your perspective that those have been good. Those have been good workers. Um, any other ways that let's say a, a CPG company can avoid on time and in full fees that seems to be on everyone's mind. Um, you know, especially now that the retailers are pushing for convenience and, orders that are perfect and all those things. Yeah. So OTIF or on time in full kind of came in to replace the, the, the case fill rate as an, as a metric in uh, CPG warehouses. And, you know, we see about 25% of orders uh, or trucks arriving early to, uh, to take, to, uh, to fulfill the orders. And I think what we've seen and what we've gleaned from some of our customers is that having a channel focused partner um, that understands how to process those orders, how to get them uh, in the door and um, is, is important. But I, I think 
one thing to keep in mind is that OTIF is still not really standardized yet. So it's it's hard to, um, you need to be on that level of communication on, you know, uh, who's who's going to deliver uh, the, uh, or, or who's who defines the, the date requested. Um, is that the retailer? Is that the manufacturer? Um, who defines the delivery slot of, you know, what, what is that definition? And, it, um, and then what does in full mean? And I, and, and so until that becomes standardized, uh, you just have to stay in, in close communication with all the different groups there and have, have, um, clear, uh, clear definition between the two parties of what, what on time in full means, uh, to those groups. Yeah, really good point there. You do wonder if it's, it is going to be standardized or if some retailers are always going to push it, um, you know, forward and be more demanding. Um, but that, that was great. That's really all the time we have. Uh, but, but how can people reach out to you and find more about Wagner Logistics? Yeah, you can find us at wagnerlogistics.com. Uh, you can find us on LinkedIn um, and you can find me on the socials on LinkedIn. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're here in Kansas City. We're all over the country and we're not uh, going anywhere anytime soon. So thanks great. for having us. Thanks up. very much. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you.